So welcome to another episode. Uh, today we've got Faris Aranki on the show, who's a strategy effectiveness consultant. So welcome, Faris. Thank you, Jivan. It's a real pleasure to be with you and the listeners today. Fantastic. So what exactly is a strategy effectiveness <laughs> consultant? Because I understand what all of the words mean in isolation. Yeah. What does it mean on a collective basis? Yeah, sure. So, so look, you know, anytime you've got a goal that you want to achieve in life, be it yourself or a company, you will probably have a strategy on how you want to get there, right? That's what a strategy is. How am I going to get there? What's the, what's the bet I'm taking? What's the option? Now, um, you can have the idea, but uh, how effective is it, right? Is it a good quality idea? Um, are you? Um, do other people buy into it? Are they supporting you on the way? Uh, have you removed the barriers for you to get there? That's the sort of stuff that I help companies with, um, you know, and we talk about it in three pillars, right? We help them improve their IQ, their EQ, and their FQ, right? That's um, different components of what makes a great strategy. Okay, so obviously from the top down, you're looking at strategy. Yeah. We'll probably break down to some sort of tactics and how is that managed on the floor in terms of operations? Yeah. The, th the three pillars, IQ, which is obviously intelligence quotient, EQ is yeah. quotient, but what is FQ for, for those who are FQ, many people wouldn't have heard it. It's it's focus quotient, right? It's the ability to be focused on your priorities, on your strategy, and remove those barriers that might get in the way, right? So if you think about it, and I know it's it's one people wouldn't have heard it. First of all, um how focused are you on what you want to achieve? Or are you just doing loads of things, right? And 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 flooding yourself with too much activity. Um, and it's very easy to do, right? How many of us you know, take on extra tasks, try and do lots of things? And from a company's point of view, if they're trying to achieve too much, it's going to really be harder to, to do all those things. But also, what are the things in your way? Um, you know, so many things distract us from our goals, from our objectives. And if you can fix them and remove them entirely, you'll be much more likely to be successful. And that's what FQ is all about. Yeah, so is that sort of in line with the Pareto principle where, you know, 80% of the progress comes down to just 20% of what you do? A little bit. There are elements of that, right? But, uh, you know, it's wider than that. And I, I can give you some examples, right? So so number one is, is prioritization, right? I say time and time for coming. I walk into companies all the time and they're doing 100 strategic projects. And that's just bonkers. You know, I say to you, you wouldn't do 100 different things that are super important in your own personal life, right? You wouldn't move house, get married, change jobs, change countries, learn a new language. You know, all these things simultaneously, a hundred of them. Why do you expect your company to be able to do that? Your employees will be confused. Which one should they focus on? So you as a leader have got to strip that away. And I go, actually, these are the five things we really care about. And that's hard, right? That's hard. So that's a big component of FQ, right? Forget the Pareto, just deciding what those things and what are you going to say no to? Then when you get to it, life is about distracting us and stopping us from doing these things, right? And it can be in small ways, your phone pinging all the time, distracting you, but it can be bigger things, right? Like you don't have the skills to do what your boss has told you you need to do, right? So just fix that. That's an FQ problem in my world, right? Fix it, right? The broken printer that everyone in the office wastes 10 minutes trying to reprogram and kick, that's a focus problem. Just change the printer, right? Eliminate it because you're robbing people of their time and their focus. And there's loads of this stuff that happens on a macro and a micro level. And that's what we go about looking. So great. You want to get from A to B? What's in your way? Let's remove it. Yeah. I mean, for me, I, I tend to find a lot of people 
Um, obviously, we, we can talk about goal setting all day long, and it is something that a lot yeah. of are familiar with. But a lot of people fall for me um, under like the Texan sharpshooter fallacy, where I don't know if you've heard of this or not. Where obviously, if you've got a target, yeah. you'd aim at it, you might miss. But what they tend to do is they will aim, fire, hit hit the, the board, and then they will move to target to say, oh, we've actually hit the nail on the head. That's what's called the Texas sharpshooter fallacy. Okay. Find right. that a lot of people in life do that. And obviously people like yourself, your good self, are there to make sure that people go out and have a focus initially with yeah. an objective and aim to get there as opposed to just seeing what happens hitting something and saying, well, actually, this is what we were working towards in the first place. And I, I tend to find yeah. a lot of people fall foul of that uh, that Texas sharpshooter fallacy. The Texas shot, yeah. And, yeah, I, I completely agree. And I, I, I have a saying, all right, be be uh, be demand-led, not supply-led, right, which is a little bit the same, which is do stuff because you genuinely want to do it, right? It is your goal, not just because it happens to be in front of you, right? Uh, and I find that, you know, time and time myself am i eating this biscuit because i'm really hungry and i really want a biscuit or just because the biscuits happen to be in my cupboard or on the counter right because the second is dangerous because then you'll just start doing stuff just because but that's how we are programmed we do do that and it's very easy to do the stuff that's just in front of us not because we actually want to do it i think there's an element of both in life though isn't there you have to be able to be proactive in in charting the course that you want to but also when things do come up it might actually amend your journey to the destination so i'll give an example of if you're traveling from i don't know london to edinburgh for example yeah there is a very direct uh, direct route to go to go to to edinburgh from london but even yeah. if you stop off in manchester which isn't the right direction really in, in in all fairness you still know that you need to get to edinburgh so even if you veer if you veered off course the destination is still in your mind whereas if you hadn't have given a destination of edinburgh you might have gone to manchester and actually said you know what i'm going to set up camp here or in liverpool somewhere and felt yeah. oh this destination is actually not pretty you know not bad it's pretty good but it really wasn't where you were ideally aiming for and i think that's what you're saying isn't it to have yeah focus and saying look this is what we're trying to do let's not get distracted yeah. by all these other great cities that are out there sheffield leeds leicester etc let's have yeah. that focus and how can we gear up our whole project to to deliver that result is that sort of what you're alluding to that, yeah that's spot on right and the, the sharper you can define that focus that goal and why you know why do you want to go to edinburgh and by when and like because you know it could be oh yeah we, we want to get to edinburgh but we can get there in three years well then yeah go to manchester go to leeds along the way but if you say i've got to get to manchester by tomorrow for a key meeting we're like, well you're an idiot to go to manchester right <laughs> so it really depends on how sharp your definition of your objective, your goal, and therefore that will really feed into the focus that you need to apply. So is that coming down to the time-bound element and specificity of the smart goal setting? Exactly, exactly. You're spot on. You're spot on. And it's amazing how many even big companies sometimes don't do that. They'll just say, oh, yeah, we just we just want to you know, make more money or we just want to beat our competitors. And you go, what, what does that really mean? Because how the hell are you going to judge? You, otherwise, you're going to be the Texas sharpshooter to fudge the goals and go, well, actually, we had a little bit of growth, so we're all happy. And you're like, really, are you? Because, you know, last year, if I roll back, you were much more ambitious, but now you're just changing the changing the definition. Yeah, changing the goalposts. I mean, I, I give the example with, with clients when I'm coaching. They say, oh, I want more money this year. And I say, okay, well, here's a, here's a pound. Here's 50p. And it's like, yeah. that, doesn't, that doesn't count. I was like, but that is technically more money. So your goal has been achieved. And they yeah. said, that's not what I meant. I said, okay, so define what you meant specifically. 
oh, I need mm. to earn £100,000 by next year, etc. Well, actually, to get there, what sort of job do you need to be doing? Or business yeah. do you need to be doing? What sort of skills do you need to do then? How, you know, what's that, as you said about the strategy, this is where you need to then bring it, break it down and look at daily habits and what you need to be doing on a daily basis. If you're a marathon, yeah. marathon for example, and you know that you've got a marathon next year, what sort of mileage do you need to be doing in week one, month one, month two? What sort of diet do you need to be uh, looking at, etc.? So, yeah, I, I really think it's good to have this strategy-based approach because otherwise, as you said, you'll end up where you don't want to be. And that, yes, that could be a great place, but actually, majority of the time, it's not going to be not going to be great. How do the other two fall in line with F- FQ then? Because you've got obviously got the FQ, but you've also got yeah. FQ, which, as I said, most people aren't familiar with. But we will come on to it. And EQ, which is, yeah. I think, a fairly new concept, probably. I mean, it's always been there, don't get me wrong, but it's quite in the ether at the moment, yeah. probably over the last five to ten years, where people yeah. are really trying to understand or really implement EQ into their own personal life and on a business perspective. So how can you explain both of those in a little bit more detail than you did at the start? Yeah, so the EQ and the IQ, is that right? You want me to explain? Yeah, so let's start with the IQ. So, so you're spot on, Joanne, and, and where you help people is what are your goals, right? So you've got to start with a goal, and it's got, it should be smart. But let's say you've got that. Then, then strategy is all about what are all the different ways I could get there, right? And what's the best option out of those choices? Now, when it comes to the IQ is we help companies look at all those options. Far too often, too many companies just come up with one option and pick it. They go, oh, yeah, um, I want to get to Edinburgh. Let's take pick up that analogy. Let's just let's just get the train. All right, bosh, that's our strategy. We're taking the train. And you're like, well, hang on a minute. What are all the other options? Before you jump on the train, have you thought about all the other options? Because there are limitless options you're just being lazy or you're not thinking you you know you're not applying your full iq to get those ideas you could get the plane you could walk you could run you could car it you could teleport if that was it you know you could invent teleportation you could get bungee you know whatever right now some of them are going to be ridiculous ideas but get all the ideas out and that's where we help companies get all the ideas out um, and then look across them and assess create some criteria to assess them cost speed right Uh, effort now, yes, you might get rid of some of the, the more wacky ones pretty quickly, but do you know the great idea, the great thing about having 100 ideas as opposed to one? A, you're going to pick a better quality idea. B, if your first idea is, fails, like the train is cancelled, you've already got backup ideas. You don't have to go back to scratch and get the team back together and go, what are we going to do? So that's where IQ comes in. Far too many companies don't come up with enough ideas and pick the right one. And when they do, they don't stress test it. That's the other thing we help companies. Let's stress test your idea before you go all in on it. Right. Let's run through all the reasons it might not work. Let's throw shit at it and and help you f- future proof. So that's that's really our work in the IQ space. Okay. So I mean, I, I really get the part of not using your IQ to your full potential. So I'm yeah. actually a member of Mensa, top two percent of IQ. And at school, I was I was kicked out of school for poor behaviour. So okay. it's not about necessarily having the right IQ, as you said. It's about using and looking at using what you've got to the best of its abilities. On the flip side, though, if you're looking at 100 ideas, isn't an element yeah. of paralysis, analysis, uh, paralysis by analysis where you've got too many ideas? So I'll give you an example. There was a story about a king, um, and he had obviously yeah. his, his his group of advisors there, and they were giving him all the information to make a decision on whether to go down the left path or the right path. And there was actually a child yeah. in the room as well who was observing. I don't know whether or not he was a king's son or, or someone else. 
And after a while, having all the information, the king decided we're just going to go left. We're just going to go and take the left path. The kid then asked him afterwards, he goes, why why did you go left? What, what was the reason behind that? Because you hadn't yet heard all the information. And he goes, sometimes it's faster to go down the left path, realise halfway down it's the wrong path and come back and go down the right path than actually going through all the information because it can be that you'll never have all the information anyway. So is there a, I'm not saying that what you said is wrong. I'm saying there's a, is there a fine line between acting too slowly and and going through too much information or acting too impulsively? Yeah. Well, so there's a couple of things there, right? It, it, where it, it, Whenever you do something in life, if you can do if it's not a one-way door, as they call it, right, you can go back on yourself and there isn't too much of a cost, then, yeah, apply a test and learn strategy, right? So, so try your strategy quickly in the most painless way. If it works, carry on with it. If it doesn't, go back, pick one of the other options. But um, that, you know, coming up with 100 options, I'm not talking about spending months Right. You can come up with 100 options. I can, with a team, come up with 100 options in under an hour. Right? And the beauty of doing this, so time box it. But the beauty is this is where the EQ and the FQ comes in. By doing it with your team, even if you know the answer, you are suddenly getting them more bought into your strategy. You're displaying elements of EQ. You're going, oh, right, you've got a great idea. I value that. I value that. So it is a great way to getting people on board with your idea. So it's over, for an hour of your time, you'll get 100 ideas, you'll get people more on board and engaged. And yeah, you might still end up with the same option you were going to do anyway, but it, you've at least applied a bit more thinking and have a bit more confidence. Yeah, this is a good option. Yeah, so you, you're just going through the contingencies, aren't you? And looking yeah. at, you're not making the basic mistakes. So for example, you know, putting your hand on the stove is going to burn you. That's a very basic yeah. consequence. You can see... This is the action, this is the consequence. But as you said, for a lot of people, they don't see the secondary and tertiary consequences and how that can have an impact on on themselves or their business. Yeah. That's where you yeah. come in. So where yeah. does the EQ, uh, the EQ fit into that then? So obviously the best idea is the IQ, the focus on yeah. that. Where does yeah. the EQ come in? Is it a case the EQ, of not yeah. being too emotional or is it actually utilising your emotions to the best of their ability? What is it? Because there's obviously a quite a wide so, spectrum there. There is quite a wide variation. And so I'll be really clear what I mean by EQ in this sense is if you have a great idea that, and, and you know, thanks to IQ, you've got a brilliant idea. It is just an idea. It's just a piece of paper. If you cannot take other people on the journey with you, right, you are very unlikely to be successful. Now, I work with a lot of high IQ people who are, who are really super smart, but they're not great at articulating or judging other people's emotions when they share their idea. They go, well, I like learning like this, or I completely understand this way, so I'm just going to talk at you how I like. I'm going to fire loads of facts at you and go, right, we're doing it. Now, the other person might hate facts, or they might not understand the language you're using, the jargon, or even the actual language. But you go, right, well, I've told it to you 10 times. Why the hell are you not doing it? Right. EQ is is being aware of the impact of your words or your, the way you you know interact with someone and go, do you know what? That's not working. I need to flex. I need to change and I need to bring them on board. What are, you know, it might mean me listening more, it might be shorter in my communication, it might be, you know, going and having this conversation in a different place where they're more comfortable. Right. It's all these little elements that are more likely to get other people on board and you know, working better with you. That's what EQ is. So is it 
maybe a bit of persuasion in there or the ability to articulate or is it picking up on what people feel about an idea so obviously for, for most okay so two things one is yes super intelligent people do somehow seem to lack some element of social awareness for whatever reason yeah. that case yeah it, it just happens to be that way so do you then need someone else to as you said be aware of what's going on in a given situation and picking up on because body language 90 percent, i think it is of, of all communication is body language isn't it and yeah, well, if, yeah. if someone's not picking up on it i, I don't know if you put 70 or well different things yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Report, it's or whatever it's going to be but it is a massive part of it yeah so what yeah. you're saying is that if someone can't pick up on these emotional or eq based um um parts of this idea whether it's yeah. people involved or whatever else are they really in the position to make the correct decision is that what you're alluding to yeah do they actually genuinely believe you are they are they going to support you follow you do what you want them to do right um so yeah some of that is reading body language and being aware but human beings are great right if you actually listen to them all you need is 20 minutes half an hour they will tell you what motivates what drives them and they will tell you what their resistors are what holds them back so lean into their drivers avoid their resistors they will do more stuff all right uh, it is but too many people aren't in tune with that that's what good eq is being in tune with that and really applying it um you know i always talk about live life using the platinum rule not the golden rule so the golden rule you might have been told as a kid which is treat others how you want to be treated great rule right but there's an even better rule platinum rule treat others how they want to be treated right so much more powerful if you can give somebody what they actually want uh then they're more likely to do it right and be happy so yeah it's all yeah. about that i love that because this is obviously from a background in sales a lot of people get it wrong they you know if they, let's say you're a car salesman they're like oh you should buy this brand new car it's fast it's um spacious it's on sale but the salesman's not asked the individual what type of car do you want how much do you want to spend? Um, do you want uh, something sporty, something comfortable? How many kids have you got? Have you got dogs? All these questions, because you need to understand what it is that drives them. What drives yeah. them as an, on an individual basis? Are they looking to earn more money to, to look after their kids? Are they just trying to save for a holiday? What drives yeah. What are they scared of? All these things, as you said, it's really important to try and understand what drives and motivates people. Are they a carrot chaser or are they someone who needs to be hit with the stick to get the best out of them? All the all these yeah. different elements help to yeah. improve on the output and the perspective of, of individuals. So out of, out of the three, which do you think? Yeah. You're probably, probably going to say, oh, well, they're all equal, 33%. Out of the three, yeah. which do you think is, the, for you personally, which is the most crucial? And it's a bit of a two-part question. Which is the most crucial and which do people lack the most? They might be the same answer. I don't know, but... They might be the same answer. But, okay, let's take your first question. It's a bit like asking a parent who's their favourite child, right? Uh, the, you already know my answer, but if it, we have a success equation, right, at my company, at Shiagete, which is success equals IQ times EQ times FQ. The reason we it's times, not plus, is you need all three, right? And... I used to be a maths teacher. Anything times by zero means the whole equation equals zero, right? If you're the smartest person in the world, Albert Einstein, but you've got the social skills of a parasite, you're not going to get any ideas through, right? The zero. 
If you are super smart, super friendly, but you are all over the place and have no focus whatsoever, you are not going to achieve what you want. So you need at least an element of all of them. All right. Now, you know, this is where I tie into your second question. Where do we do the most of my, our work as a company? It is certainly much more around the EQ and the FQ than the IQ, right? Most most big corporates that we work with, you know, the, the Amazons, the Heinekens, the Tesco's, the Anglo, these are all our clients. They have a lot of IQ. They are very super smart people. But what they're often lacking is ability to talk to others and an ability to focus. Yeah, definitely. I think that there's not much difference even if you look at sportsmen let's take something quite um loved uh, well quite well known to people sportsmen there's not actually yeah. differences between sports people at the top at the top end yes take away the Lionel Messi's and people like that but at that other the other bracket there's yeah. not a huge difference in in ability but what separates yeah. the people that are touching on that top level is their EQ a lot of the time and their focus yeah Exactly, exactly, right? Yeah, and yeah, yeah. In, in that context, IQ is sporting ability, but you need more than sportability. You need that consistency, focus, like you say, and you need other people to like you. You know, if you're a footballer, you need the coach to pick you, right? <laughs> you need to not piss off the rest of your team, right? That's all EQ. Uh, even if you're a great, you know, no, it reaches a point that any team, if there's a total jerk in there, it doesn't matter how good they are, the team will revolt against them. You see that all the time, don't you, with with footballers? You see someone, yeah. oh, he's such a great player, but he's just not fulfilled his potential. You know, they get yeah. around, they get sold on, and people can't understand why it is. And as you said, what people don't get is it's not just about IQ. I think Sir Alex Ferguson was really good at this. You see, I think you've seen the demise of Man United on the basis that I think looking at these elements, Alex Ferguson used to um, prefer someone who had an AIQ, AEQ, AFQ. They were focused, they knew yeah. how to behave, and they were an 8 out of 10. What tends to happen now with football is people go for the, I'm not saying it's always the case, they try to go for, a, for example, Paul Pogba. He would be high on the IQ spectrum, mm. low on the FQ and low on the uh, EQ as well, wouldn't he? I don't know if, if you're familiar with football players or not, but... I am familiar with football players, and, yeah, the Paul Pogba story is is, is quite sad. But, yeah, his distractions and the, the things, you know, his career now is is all about that, right? Dealing with his family problems, is the, the, the sort of the criminal charges and stuff. So, yeah, yeah, you could you could translate those into EQ and FQ. Um, but certainly he has got distracted from what is his real talent, which is his football. Yeah, so how how do we stop the distractions there? How do we try to yeah. spend or allocate equal resources to all three of these things? So, so like I say, give clarity to people about what should be what they should focus on. Right? It, it as a boss, as a leader, don't leave it to open to interpretation. Don't say to your staff, "Okay, you all know what you're doing." Go, no. The three most important things we need to achieve this week are this, and don't stop talking about it. So everyone is clear. Right. And if you're not doing this, why are you not doing this? Because I've told you this is the most important. So, so help them out in that sense. Don't leave anything open to grey areas. Secondly, don't just rely on their willpower. Help them. Right. If you know they, you know, they're gonna always gonna eat the biscuits if you put them out, don't put the biscuits out. Right. Remove them completely from their view. Help them out. If you know personally that you you can't help but check your Facebook and your Insta every five minutes, go and lock your phone away while you have to write you know an important report or do an important piece of work but then the other thing that comes from focus is the community have people around you who will help if you know you're going to be 
going to struggle, right? So I know that I often get distracted, but I also know that I, I love accountability. So what does that mean? It means if I tell another human being that I have to do something, I am more likely to do it. So anytime I have a difficult task, I'll ring my sister and I go, oh, I've got to do this thing. She has no context of the task. She's like, all right, I don't care. doesn't matter. But do you know what? Just by doing a phone call, I'm more likely to be focused. Right. So find the hacks that work for you, but also get support from your bosses and those around you, because it's really hard to be super focused on your own if, if you don't have clarity and you don't have support. Yeah, it depends on the motivation levels as well. Some people are more driven than others. And as you said, it's about knowing yourself and what's going to help you get your optimal performance. But even as managers, a lot of managers say, oh, you're unorganized, you're messy, you're always late. As you say those things, it actually makes them more like that. Instead of Yes, saying, it does. thank you so much for being on time, thank you for being so organized, thank you for being so enthusiastic, thank you for being so disciplined, etc. They... Yeah. then become more like that and fulfill into that prophecy basically or fulfill into your um Yeah. your It becomes, expectation yeah, it becomes of them. self-fulfilling. yeah self-fulfilling and this is what people don't understand it comes back to as you said emotional quotient trying to get the best out of yourself and others and understanding Yeah. as uh, robert green talks about people's thumbscrew what what makes them tick Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. what do you think the most common issues people have are um businesses wise and not asking for specifics in terms of you know we helped them do this what are there any generics that you can see as patterns across the board I mean, it is linked to, um, you know, it's linked to those three pillars, but, but you know, a common one is people just, um, well, I often say people are lazy, selfish, and easily distracted, right? So those are the common challenges a business has to overcome, both within their own employees and the customers, right? And I mean that tongue in cheek, right? Lazy. If it involves more effort for a person, they're less likely to do it. And that's just for your employees and your customers. If it doesn't involve anything for them, they're less likely to do it. They can't see what, what they benefit from it. And if there's something shinier somewhere else, they're going to do that over your thing. But isn't Right? there an element So those of what are the Bill common Gates says? Um, I would employ a lazy man because he will find a way to do things better. So, for example, I wouldn't. I'm not lazy because I do loads of things, you know, judo and financial advice and coaching and podcasts, etc. But I can be quite lazy in respect of I don't like doing the same thing over and over again repetitively. So I would rather spend an hour making an Excel spreadsheet that will save me ten minutes a day. Because it, you know, I make my time back in six minutes or six days rather, and after that, it's it's easier. Do you class that as lazy, or do you class that as someone who's being more efficient, or is there a balance there? No, I mean, I, I remember, you know, I used I used provocative words to be, but what you know, lazy means, yeah, human beings will look to do the path of least resistance, the quickest, you know, the easiest way to do something. And and your example is spot on. If I might require more effort up front, but longer term, it is simplifying my life. It is making it easier. So yeah, um, I think you know that does uh, fall under that. So yeah, it's. I think with anything, there's sometimes a golden mean, isn't there? With as Aristotle, I think it was Aristotle talks about the golden mean. You don't want to be too lazy, and you don't want to be too hardworking either. You want you want to be somewhere in the middle where you can basically be the most effective person you, you can be in in some in Yeah. some respects. So, what about you then? So you you obviously do this now. Where what's your background? Where have you come from?
previously? Yeah, so so my background, it all started career-wise um, as a school teacher. I used to teach uh, uh, secondary school maths and economics. I taught around the world. Uh, loved it. Great way to see the world. Great way to uh, you've really develop some amazing skills as a teacher. But then I moved into the corporate world. I joined a big energy company, uh, learned all about the energy markets and uh, ended up in their strategy team. And that's where I realized I love strategy. I love working out the answer to complex problems. And so then I uh, spent 12 years as a strategy consultant for big consulting firms, you know, like some McKinsey and that sort of stuff. And um, and then four years ago, I set up my own company to do this kind of specific take on strategy uh, and making companies more effective. Uh, so, yeah, absolutely love it so far. So on, on so talking about strategy there, so yeah. obviously, you know, Sun Tzu, Art of War and all those sort of things. What what yeah. makes a good strategy for you, you know, whether you're talking about chess and, and these sort of games, why yeah. strategy is so important? Is it a case of understanding the bigger picture and, and trying to work out what is going to happen beyond that? What, what yeah. does strategy mean to you specifically? Yeah, so like I said, it doesn't have to be complicated. At the most simple level, it is a clear plan or approach for how you're going to achieve your goal. But a good strategy has been stress-tested, You've thought through all the implications, you know, because there's so many, you know, they call it systems thinking. There's so many knock on effects when you press, you know, on a balloon here, what's going to happen? Where's it going to pop up somewhere else? So you stress test, you think through all the consequences, and then it's simple for others to understand and, and buy into. All right. That's what a great strategy is. It provides clarity, simplicity, excitement, but it's well thought through. Yeah. But, you know, Mike Tyson. Uh, there's a great phrase that Mike Tyson summed up brilliantly. Everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the face. All right. So what do you do next? Because you don't want to be working it out while blood's dripping from your nose. That's what a great strategy is. But does that come from, you know, if you do get hit in the face, because look, no strategy can be perfect, ever, ever yeah. definitely. I mean, yeah. I, I like the, the strategy example of uh, Adolf Hitler, how he took France, I believe, where there was an area of the Ardennes that was unmanned, which is basically a mountainous region. And instead of, you know, France to defend their borders were defending the normal areas of the borders. So what he did is he said, look, we're going to take all our troops through this area of the Ardennes, which is, as I said, a mountainous region. Yes, it's going to be hard, but they're not going to know where we're coming from. And we basically encircled them and it took France very, very quickly. Is it a case, because this is, this is what I think about strategy, it's trying to use your maximum resource against the area of least resistance, as you talked about earlier, to implore maximum efficiency. So judo, I, I, um, I do judo quite regularly. Um, and that's one of the key concepts of it, where you try and use maximum force when they're most vulnerable. Is that a case of using that in, in terms of strategy for you, for your consulting business as well? Um, yeah, I mean, you don't want to overcomplicate things. Right? But again, it comes back to what you want to achieve, right? So if judo, if you were told by your judo master you want to pin the person on the floor without like you've got 10 competitions today, then, yeah, you don't want to use a lot of energy. But if your judo master says, I want you to pin him to the floor and make the grandest display because we've got cameras watching and, you know, people, and, you know, we want to see you sweat, then you don't want to use minimum energy, right? So it all depends on, goes back to the goal and what you want to achieve, um, but yeah, there's going to be an element of 
what are you know how much effort is it going to be what resources do i have how do i allocate them because at any point in our lives we're, we're trying to achieve more than one thing and so we've got to do trade-offs but um so yeah that's why you want to uh, balance your resources are there any good books that you would recommend in terms of strategy thinking or any articles that, or, or, or videos? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's loads of good stuff. One of my favorite books, it's, you know, I love Thinking Fast, Thinking Slow. It breaks down about how people make decisions and how, uh, because that's a big part of it, right, uh, for me, about strategic decision making. How do our brains work? How do we not just ask other people? Why do they pick A over B? Um, when, when, you know, when you, when you really sit down and think about it, B is better than A. Um, and so understanding that really, for me, is a key part component of strategy. So can you sort of detail that slightly more for people who haven't read the book or are unaware of Yeah, sure. Sure. So basically the, uh, what they've discovered, you know, through scientific research is the brain has two modes. Uh, mode, you know, uh, mode A, system one, it's called, is how we make quick decisions. It doesn't take a lot of effort for the brain. It's like, okay, just do that, right? And we apply that to areas that we do regularly because you don't want to have to be thinking through everything from scratch. Like, imagine like having to think about how to walk. Okay, I've got to raise my leg, move forward, put it down, right? All these sort of things. We just allocate that to system uh, one, you know, type A. And so 90% of our decisions day to day are made in that mode. Then there's system B, which is when it's something new or something very difficult, we actually stop and apply a lot more thinking to. But the brain finds that really tiring. So it tries to limit how often you spend in system two. Right, so it'll actually spend less than 10% of its time in there. Now, what it means is that sometimes in decisions that are medium difficulty, or something, the brain will lazily push it into system one and go, oh, yeah, you handle it. Right, you make the decision and it'll base it on it, not all the information because it's trying to make the decision quickly. Whereas you should be spending time in system two to make that decision. So my job often is to create the environment and force people to think in system two when their brain wants to just think in system one. So how do you go about doing that? Are there some sort of hacks that you can so I think you mentioned earlier, like sort of SWOT analysis and Benjamin. Yeah, there, so there are some, yeah, there are some tools. Hacks. Yeah, there are some tools. There are some reminding them of uh, how important that decision is. So they take it, they spend more time. There is showing them the consequences of their poor decision making. Now, if you can show them, then that's like a car crash of the brain going, oh shit, right? And that's uh, that often happens to us in day to day life. Like I made a choice and it worked out badly. You know, I, I made a choice to hit snooze on my alarm and I missed my train. That's a shit, right? Because uh, I made that choice in, in system one, but actually, there's been a terrible consequence. So now I'm going to rethink through that uh, in my system too and come up with a new plan. So next time it happens, I'm not being so lazy, but it shouldn't take you missing your train to engage system two. Is it similar to the unconscious and conscious mind where we make a lot of decisions um, um, unconsciously, basically, but it filters back. So the more we, we say, so for example, the more we consume good content, so yeah. things like what you're saying, good books, etc. It goes into our unconscious mind. But then when we come to make fast decisions, we have better information to be able to make those quick decisions from. Is it an element? Is it very similar to that? Yeah, yes, it is. But be careful. Just because you read a book doesn't mean it's gone in anywhere, right? The science shows 
if you take on new knowledge, you will forget it within, you'll forget 70% of it within 24 hours, unless you do something with it. You've got to rewire the brain. Just simply reading an article or reading a book is not good enough. So what I mean by that is if you read an article, so you're a judo guy, if you read an article about how to be better at judo, you're not going to get better at judo. But if you immediately applied that knowledge, either by going and practicing the moves you've just read about, or going and explaining it to somebody else, or going and writing about it in your own words, you are more likely to remember it. Then, then it will move into your uh, subconscious. But just love reading it. it, not good enough. Yeah, love it. Theoretical and practical knowledge is completely separate, as you said. Yeah. Whether it's, uh, I think teaching is actually a really good way of doing it. Obviously, application is is, is probably the best, but teaching allows you to really understand something at its simplest level because for someone else to understand it i mean you'll know this as a teacher i mean I, i'm not there's no point in trying to teach you how to suck eggs you've done it for a professional yeah. and yeah. things such as maths which is obviously for most people quite difficult to to comprehend um especially yeah. if they're not very logical but yeah, yeah if you can explain a complex uh thing very simply i think i don't think it was isaac newton who said unless you can explain it to a six-year-old you don't understand it yourself yeah, very similar. Albert Einstein. Yeah, yeah. If you can't explain it yet, you don't know it well enough. Yeah, yeah. and uh, there's 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 great research and a, and fantastic uh, experiment that they discovered that they in schools they took a ten year old and paired them with a seven year old to read together, right, to improve reading skills. Now, who do you think improved more during those sessions? The seven year old or the ten? The younger huh? one, of course. The younger. You think one. the younger one? But actually, the person who progressed more was the ten-year-old, was the older one, because, of the because by having to teach the seven-year-old, he, he, they were discovering more about what reading was, what the words were. They had to go and and actually, so this is a classic technique of pairing, you know, people. If you want to increase somebody's ability to learn or how quickly they learn, pair them with a weaker person. That's really that's really interesting, isn't it? Because you you would think, as I said you would think well actually they're being taught that they're learning so much more but as, as you've alluded to when you teach or apply your knowledge you have more clarity don't you in terms of what you're doing i mean writing books you know i'm on my third book i've learned so much by writing these books yeah that it's incredible really yeah i think yeah. i will continue I, to write I, books. I, yeah I'm, i write every week i blog every week i write and the greatest benefit is for me it sharpens yeah. my thinking. Yeah. Makes me think, what am I actually trying to say here? Um, it just so happens that people enjoy reading it. What an yeah. extra bonus. But yeah. it's really for me, it's selfish. Well, it's, it's a value thing. You know, I, I think I said in my first book, uh, this is really for me, but if you enjoy it as well, fantastic. But because you're providing something valuable, other people then read it. I mean, look at look at Marcus Aurelius' meditations. Obviously, he had no idea that it would be read today. But he was writing these things to help clarify his own thought process and how he thinks. And, you know, for me, that's just a psychological book, isn't it? Because I love stoicism. And some of the things he say is just, it clarifies things so simply that you think, well, why didn't I think of it in that way before? Yeah. And it helps you to, to rewire, as you, as you said. Um, yeah. Is there any sort of final bits of, of advice you've got for people listening? Obviously, I know you, you, you predominantly work for businesses, but an yeah. individual are their own business you know they've got their own goal yeah, they, they yeah of course yeah balance yeah. and loss what can you help to or, or what can you provide in terms of people specifically that they could do a very small thing that they could apply as you said today yeah to help them improve i mean loads of things but at the most simple and you're right it, what applies for companies applies to the individual 
Number one, be clear on what you want to achieve. If you haven't worked that out, stop, right? Just spend a bit of time there. Number two, think about more ways than you initially think of how you might achieve it. And then three, don't talk to more people about it. Don't keep it all in your head. Share, right? When you, and then four, when you're talking to people, ask more questions of them. What do you think? Why do you think that? And then the final part, five, is listen more. If all of us could just listen 10% better, God, the difference that would happen in relationships, in you know, the ability to go further together would be transformed. So you know, that, that would be my five things I would uh, sort of advise anybody, be they in a company level or in a personal level. Love it. I think the questions part's amazing because I don't know if you know about the Socratic, obviously Socrates, the Socratic method, yeah. where he never used to tell people, I'll go and do this and do that. He used to ask some questions. So why do you want to do this? Yeah. Why do we need to improve our workforce? Why do we actually want this goal? Because, you, I mean, you again, you'll know this as a teacher. For people not understanding, we'll say, what do you understand? Why this? Why that? You won't just tell them X squared over X, you know, blah, blah, blah. You will ask them what's yeah. the next step and they will tell you and that's how you you know you sort of help to to improve people but yeah been gr really great to have you on Varys. i've learned a lot myself which is which is always always great um if anyone wants to reach out to you and obviously need your services where can they do that yeah well there's uh two places one come and visit our website uh, i think i kind of said before the company is called shiagetto which is the japanese word for a sharpening stone so if you ever had a dull knife, you might have used a sheer ghetto to sharpen it. And uh, that's www.shiagetto.com. I'm sure, Javine, you'll put that in the notes. And then the other place is LinkedIn. I spend, I post every day on LinkedIn. I spend a disproportionate amount of time. I reply to everybody. I love chatting. So come and find me there. You'll see a whole bunch of tips that I give every day. Uh, and uh, just love to chat to you and, and uh, see where our conversation takes us. Fantastic. Cool. On that note, thanks again, Faris. And uh, yeah, I'll put all the notes in, in, the, in the show notes and people can reach out to you. But thanks again. Thank you very much.